Have you ever wondered what it's like to perform an autopsy? Ever wanted to know how accurate your favorite crime drama is? If you're brave enough, join us Inside the Morgue. Welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts, Jess and Alice, and the show we're dissecting today is one that we all know and love. It's Dexter. We're going all the way back to the pilot, season one, episode one. I'm sure many of you listening have watched Dexter before. And I, for one, am a huge Dexter fan. I've seen every episode, including the newest season, Dexter New Blood, that came out at the end of last year. But for those of you who have never seen it, uh, basically Dexter is a blood spatter analyst by day with Miami-Dade County and a vigilante serial killer by night. So the pilot episode starts off with Dexter setting sights on his next target. He captures his next kill in their car making them drive to the middle of the woods where Dexter's kill room is. The man he is targeting has murdered three young choir boys and buried their bodies. Dexter found the boys' bodies, cleaned them off, and laid them out on the floor of the shed for the man to see what he had done. One of the boys had been in the ground for so long that Dexter said he had to pull him out in pieces. Dexter injects the man with a sedative and restrains him with plastic wrap on a table. Dexter always saves a sample of blood from his kills and makes a blood slide as a souvenir or a trophy. There's a short flashback scene of Dexter's young boy talking to his foster dad, Harry, and Harry confronts Dexter that he had found the neighbor's dog buried in their backyard along with many other bones. So, while this is creepy, this is a green flag because young kids who torture and kill animals often demonstrate antisocial personality traits, including a lack of empathy, remorse, or guilt. There's a theory called the McDonald Triad, which is a set of three factors, and it is thought if a person presents with two of these factors, they are likely to have quote-unquote violent tendencies. The three factors are arson, unusual bedwetting, and torturing and or killing small animals. Dexter mentions a few times in this episode that he doesn't feel anything at all, and he has no empathy, which leads us to believe that he is a psychopath. His foster sister, a police officer named Deb, calls about a homicide scene at a motel that she is at. There's a dismembered sex worker found in a pool. However, as soon as Dexter walks into the drained pool, he discovers that there is no blood in, on, or near the victim. I know I've referenced this case before in earlier episodes, but again, this immediately made me think of Elizabeth Short's murder, aka the Black Dahlia, because she was also found dismembered and completely drained of blood. She was. Right? and But she was only bisected. She was cut right in the middle. Yeah, she wasn't completely dismembered yeah. like this body. Yeah, but she was completely drained of blood. I don't know if maybe I'm just obsessed with that case because I keep thinking that everybody's referencing it. So the body in the show is in pretty good shape. Some of the dismembered parts are wrapped up and others aren't. There are also no fingerprints on the victim. The cuts are extremely clean but he cut the right leg into four even pieces and the left leg only in three pieces. The killer had started to make a fourth cut above the left knee, but it stopped. So it is believed that the killer may have gotten interrupted, and that is why he stopped. At the department, one of the detectives, Sergeant Dokes, brings up crime scene photos for Dexter to analyze. Dexter says the killer here was not a professional because the work was very messy 
and there is a lot of blood on the walls. He goes to the scene to do a full analysis. When blood exits the body, it does so in a liquid form, traveling as spherical droplets. So based on the droplets' intermolecular interactions, which is a phenomenon that droplets resist breaking apart when there's surface tension added to the mix. So from here, you're able to predict how the drops of blood will behave when a force is applied to them. At low velocity, there's a pattern of dripping blood. This is also known as passive splatters, which typically occurs after an injury. So for example, when you're bleeding from a punch. At medium velocity, the pattern will result in the victim bleeding more quickly and the blood will be projecting out of the wound. This velocity speed is indicative of the victim being struck with a blunt object or a stab to an artery. At high velocity, the blood pattern is usually caused by weapons of extreme force, such as a gun. There is a spray of very small droplets at this speed. In any of these cases, there could also be void patterns, where an object or person was in the way of the blood spatter, making a blank space in that pattern. Or there could be cast-off droplets, which are droplets that fall from a large drop of blood, and this could happen when a bloody object is being swung around. Lastly, there could also be blood spatter overlay, which this could happen when blood is being deposited on a surface in a very specific order. At the scene, we also see the string theory in place, so I'm going to give this a green flag for them demonstrating it here. And this is when an analyst will attach multiple strings to one another in order to find the area of convergence. This tells the analyst where the blood came from and aids in finding the origin of the blood. It uses coordinates that create a level line which establishes the relationship between the blood stain, the floor, and the ceiling. You can then measure the blood angle of flight to find the origin. But now we have all these computer programs and high-tech technology, and this can all be done digitally. You just put in the measurements of the lengths and widths of the spatter, and a 3D model is generated from that. I also just want to say for this scene, Sergeant Dokes, I love how he's the only person in the entire police department who is creeped out by Dexter. He's like the only one who gets a bad feeling about him. Oh yeah, 100%. And no one else is. Everybody else loves him. And he's like, you creep me out. And it just, it made me... (laughs) Yeah, straight up, he goes, you creep me out. He's like, you creep me out. And he's just like, no, it doesn't hold back. And it, it seems like he's the jerk in the show, but no, he's right. <laughs> he's completely, <laughs> Dokes is so right. <laughs> and no one listens. And it's, I know you haven't watched all of Dexter, but it's a bit throughout the whole thing. He's the one person who's like, I don't know, I have a bad feeling about this guy and no one else believes him. Everybody's like, ah, oh, he's just the nerdy forensics guy. But okay, I will say I'm not a serial killer full disclaimer. But I definitely have had people, if they ask me questions about my job and if I get excited about talking about how I work in forensics, I definitely have gotten the, you creep me out. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. When I first started doing this, I feel like people ask that all the time and they still get creeped out when I talk about it. I just really love anatomy. I didn't mean to be spooky. (laughs) So one officer at the scene that Dexter's at where he's doing the cool strings to analyze the blood spatter, asks if he thinks that the killer would use a sword. Dexter says no, and that it was probably a very sharp knife. The pattern of the blood tells a story. There's a big pond of blood in one section of the room near the wall. This is where the initial stab happened. Dexter said that the male victim was stabbed at about shoulder height, plunging his knife into the shoulder, 
severing the carotid artery. And this is our first red flag because Dexter says the carotid artery is in the shoulder. The major artery in the shoulder would actually be called the axillary artery. And it's named for its position in the axilla, a.k.a. the armpit. So it's kind of going in the armpit region in the shoulder area. So the axillary artery comes off of the subclavian artery, which, as the name suggests, is just below your clavicle. And the subclavian artery comes off of your common carotid, which is in your neck. If you put your two fingers to your neck to try and feel your pulse after a workout, you're feeling your carotid. So it's the major blood supply to your head and neck, not your shoulder. He was just a little off there from the shoulder. Just a little off. But I will say, when I first watched Dexter, I wasn't working in forensics yet, so I didn't even catch that until re-watching it this time. And I'm like, oh no, I know too much now. <laughs> so looking at the scene, there is long thick, heavy drops of blood down the wall. In another section of the room, there is a nice clean spray of blood. This happens when you hold something light and you move quickly. With this type of spatter, there would be sharp slices across the body with no large drops of blood. The slashers travel from right to left along the wall, and Dexter theorizes that the killer knew how to use a blade. How the blood spatter is portrayed gets a green flag, because I think they did a pretty good job at accurately displaying a pattern of blood as it traveled across the wall from the injuries that they explained during the scene. So next we see Dexter out on a date with his girlfriend Rita and while they're out on the town having a great time he spots the police and another crime scene obviously he rushes of course he'll run to it of course I know he can't go out on one date without murder happening right next to him right don't you hate when that happens to you don't you hate when you're on a date and you get interrupted <laughs> and there's a severed body right there where you just happen to be so of course Dexter being Dexter rushes over to see what's happening so of course there's another bloodless dismembered body on the ground the body is placed back together and they actually have a ruler next to one of the hands and evidence bags on the side. The detective at the scene, Angel Batista, starts telling Dexter that the cuts this time are a little different. The cut on the left ankle is very rough, and as the cuts move up the leg, they get a little bit cleaner. Lastly, on the left leg, the killer has completely removed all the muscle and soft tissue from the top of the leg, leaving the femoral head, neck of the femur, and the greater trochanter exposed. So that's all of the top of your femur bone that would kind of connect into your, your hip socket. Also, unlike the first victim, the head of the victim was not discarded with the rest of the body, so they still don't have a head for this victim. Dexter and Deb are out to lunch and they're discussing theories about the killer and how to get him. She brings up cell crystallization and that the pieces of the latest victim appear different from the others. The tissue is cold like how packaged meat would be. Deb's theory is that the killer is using refrigerated trucks for his killings. This is a green flag because cell crystallization is a real process that occurs when tissue is frozen. Crystallization is the process by which a solid forms where the atoms or molecules are highly organized into a structure known as a crystal. This occurs on both living and dead tissue, and the process occurs when the temperature is between 0 and negative 25 degrees Celsius. At a briefing with officers at the police department, Dexter's sister makes her case for checking to see if any refrigerated trucks had been stolen recently. Her idea gets shot down by the lieutenant, and Dexter gets called in for a meeting regarding the blood spatter analysis from the scene they were just at. He states that this murder had nothing to do with drugs, which is what all of the other detectives believed it to be. <laughs> he says it was a crime of passion. Based on the blood spatter, Dexter says that the supposed drug dealer was killed first, 
and that he was killed very quickly, and that's why there was more blood on that side of the room than the other. The killer then took his time with the second victim, who was the supposed woman or girlfriend. So based on the smaller, thinner spatter marks on the wall, he made this assumption. You don't spend a lot of time on a victim unless you have a close personal relationship with them. So based on his analysis, Dexter believed that an ex-boyfriend was the murderer. It's always ex-boyfriend, husband. It's always the spouse, which is horrifying. (laughs) Always the boyfriend or the husband. In the last scenes, Dexter is honing in on his next vigilante kill. This target abused and raped women. He follows the man to an abandoned building where he's stealing copper plumbing. He finds the target, sedates him, and restrains him on a table with duct tape. Dexter dismembers the man with a cleaver, later boxing the remains for dumping. And again, he saves a drop of blood as a souvenir from his kill. Once he finishes his work at the abandoned building, he's in his car heading home. We see an ice truck driving by him. Of course, he has to follow to see where it's headed. They get to a dead end, and as Dexter tries reading the license plate number of the truck, the driver of the ice truck throws a decapitated head at Dexter. Ah, it's the head from the scene earlier, when he was on a date. That's the one that was missing. When Dexter returns home, he finds a Barbie doll head taped to the outside of his refrigerator, and when he opens up the refrigerator, he sees cut-up doll pieces inside, mimicking how the latest victims were. And there we have the beginning of the ice truck killings. I'm definitely going to be binging Dexter now. I haven't watched it in a while. I watched the new season. I think I got to watch it back in, I think it was April, because I was home visiting my parents. Hi, Mom and Dad, if you're listening. They have on demand, so I was able to watch it. I was able to watch the new blood, but I haven't watched the older stuff in so long. Clearly, I'm a huge fan of Dexter, and Dexter is a fan-favorite crime drama. But did you know that someone was so obsessed with the show that he tried to become the next Dexter Morgan? So we're about to get into the case of the Dexter killer. We got the information from this case from an article in the Economic Times titled, Who is Mark Twitchell, the Dexter Killer? Which will be listed in our show notes if you're interested in reading the full article. Known for being the murderer of John Brian Altinger, Mark Andrew Twitchell got a lot of media attention because he claimed he was actually inspired by our favorite series, Dexter. This obsession inspired his real-life crimes. Twitchell was a Canadian filmmaker. He graduated from Northern Alberta Institute of Technology in 2000. In 2008, he started to pretend to be a woman online on dating sites to lure men into his quote-unquote kill room that he believed to be unlawful. On October 10th, Twitchell, posing as a woman on a dating site, had planned a date with John Altinger to meet up after they had been chatting for some time. Twitchell lured him into his garage, which is what he used as his kill room. Twitchell bludgeoned and stabbed Altinger before dismembering his body. The body was partially burned. His remains were put into garbage bags and dumped into a storm sewer. John Altinger's friends received really weird emails from quote-unquote Altinger stating that he was just going to spontaneously go on a trip to Costa Rica with this date that he had just met. So clearly, because he had good friends, they became concerned because this did not seem something what their friend would do. So unable to get a hold of him, they broke into his condo, did not find any evidence to prove that he had left on vacation. The things that you would typically take on vacation with you were still in the condo. I think his passport was still in his condo. Yeah, that's what it was. His passport was there, so his friends contacted authorities. And Twitchell did not cover up his tracks very well, and he was located and questioned by police. He told a false story of events 
once stating that he had met Altinger, who was all excited about going on a trip with this woman he had just met, and he wanted to get rid of his car before leaving. So Twitchell said that Altinger sold him his Mazda 6 for only 40 Canadian dollars, which was all the cash that Twitchell had on him at hand. So this car was impounded, and there was Altinger's blood found in the trunk of the car. So Twitchell was arrested on October 31st and charged on the same day with the first-degree murder of Altinger. During the trial, a key piece of evidence was a document titled SK Confessions, which stood for Serial Killer Confessions. This document was recovered from Twitchell's laptop after he had tried to delete it. The document began with a passage that read, This story is based on true events. The names and events were altered slightly to protect the guilty. This is the story of my progression into becoming a serial killer. So, not subtle at all. Very ominous. I think he had also, when they first found the SK Confessions, he tried to say that SK stood for Stephen King. And he was like, oh, I'm just a huge Stephen King fan. Who is known for writing scary, murderous books. I know. I am a huge Stephen King fan also. But that, yeah. What would Stephen King confessions mean? That doesn't make sense. So the document had all of Twitchell's planning, his first failed attempt at killing someone, and his successful second attempt at luring a man using a fake dating profile to his garage to kill him. During the trial, Twitchell admitted to killing Altinger and to writing the manifesto, but he claimed he acted in self-defense. I don't think you can argue self-defense with this much planning. Yeah, that argument is questionable at best. It's not self-defense if you wrote a whole manifesto about it before meeting the man. The TV series Dexter was referred to many times during the trial as well. Twitchell also faced an attempted murder charge for Gil's Tetralt. Early in October, Gil's had gone to meet a woman he had met on the same dating site that Twitchell had used to lure Altinger. As Gil's arrived at the decided meetup location, which was Twitchell's garage, Twitchell attacked Gil's and wore a hockey mask as he did so. Gil's fought back and actually escaped, but he did not go to the cops to report the attack. He stated that he was far too embarrassed by the incident, which that makes me so sad. He felt embarrassed. He was on a dating site trying to meet people. And he got embarrassed that he was catfished. I know. That makes me sad. But Gills has since written a book titled The One Who Got Away, which is his first-hand account of his attempted murder at the hands of Twitchell. And I know I'll definitely be adding that to my reading list because I am intrigued. In April 2011, Twitchell was found guilty of first-degree murder of John Altinger. He was given a life sentence in prison without the possibility of parole. I think it's so crazy that people take these TV shows a little too seriously and they lose the the fun enjoyment part of it so he claims he was trying to be like dexter morgan but dexter goes after other serial killers and these were just two guys on dating sites trying to meet women as far as i know yeah i think that in his own messed up mind he thought that these men deserved to be killed for whatever reason but i don't think they were unlawful or evil men at all yeah crazy While blood spatter is fascinating and can be useful in certain cases, there are some controversies surrounding the study of it, so this is a bit of a red flag. One instance of this is the disgraced blood spatter analyst named Dwayne Deaver. Now, if this name sounds familiar, it's because he was a notable expert witness for the infamous Michael Peterson staircase case. Michael Peterson was accused of killing his wife, Kathleen Peterson. This case is super involved, and we don't have enough time to really go into every detail of it now, but long story short, 
In 2003, Michael was convicted of murdering Kathleen on the staircase of their home. The staircase was covered in blood, as was the walls, and even some of Michael's clothing had blood spatter on it. Autopsy revealed that Kathleen had died from seven lacerations to the back of her head. Jurors on the trial said that Dwayne Deaver's testimony was part of the most convincing that linked Michael to the scene of the crime. However, in 2011, it was revealed that Dwayne Deaver had falsified 34 other cases he had testified on. For that reason, Michael Peterson got a retrial, and because of the Alford plea, which is a guilty plea in which the defendant maintains their innocence and does not admit to the criminal acts they are accused of, but they admit that the prosecution had sufficient evidence to persuade a judge or jury to find the defendant guilty, and thus they agreed to be treated as guilty. He was charged with only voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to a max of 86 months with credit for time previously served. Because he had already served that amount of time, he was released. So I watched a documentary on the staircase called The Staircase, and learning about the Alfred plea, it, I can't, I still can't wrap my mind around that. Because the blood spatter analyst had lied on some of the other cases, all of his cases he had testified on had to be retried. So even if he was being honest in the Peterson case, his testimony became inadmissible and Peterson got to walk free. We got this information on Dwayne Deaver and the Peterson trial from the, a Newsweek article by Molly Mitchell titled The Staircase, Who is Dwayne Deaver and Where is He Now? As well as the Wikipedia page for the Michael Peterson's trial. If you want to learn more, all of that will be in our show notes. That's the end of our episode. We tallied a total of four green flags and two red flags. So in our opinion, Dexter does pass in terms of forensic accuracy. But blood spatter analysis itself is widely controversial, so take that pass with a grain of salt. We'll definitely be watching more Dexter to see how well other episodes compare to this one. I'm so excited, but I'm also kind of scared now because I have more of a knowledge of anatomy and forensics. I'm scared that I'm going to watch one of my favorite shows now and not enjoy it. If you enjoy our podcast, please share it with friends, family, coworkers, or just anyone, really. We'd love to grow our platform on here. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with a brand new dissection. Bye. Bye.